really have to design your life around getting enough sleep, just like you might be want to be thoughtful about what you eat or drink. Every child, I mean, every human really deserves good sleep. It's a cornerstone of health and well-being. The upside is simple interventions can often really make a huge difference for families. I don't think there's anything like it. <laughs> I don't think I've experienced anything like it. And I, I didn't know anything about this type of sleep deprivation. And I imagine a lot of parents do not experience this until they have a brand new baby. Hey everyone, it's Faith. Welcome to Stroller Coaster, the podcast that takes you on the wild ride of parenting created by Munchkin. We love hearing from you all. So if you have a question or an idea for a topic that you'd like to hear about, please email us at strollercoaster.com. Hey, Justin, what time do your kids wake up? Great question. Uh, right now we're in sort of a 7, 7.30 phase. <gasps> I'm so envious. That sounds so, that sounds civilized. Yes, we wake up to um, morning tea and uh, lovely scones. Birds breakfast. chirping. Yeah. It's like a My- Disney movie over here. The mice fix our breakfast. <laughs> My kids are older than yours. They're seven and nine and they wake up by six, sometimes before in the summer. By six? Who? That is. It's. I am so sorry. <laughs> it's offensive. It's offensive. It is. Um, yeah. And I. So, okay, so what time do your kids go to bed? Uh, about eight thirty usually, what which makes you? sense. That's like that's like the. I mean, I'm not a doctor, but that sounds like you know they're getting what uh, eleven and a no, a ten and a half hours of sleep. Yeah, um, something like that. So because my children wake up by six or before six, no matter what time we put them to bed, <laughs> um, we we have to put them to bed early. Like we try to have them in they're bed. They're tired. They're tired, but they don't know they're tired. So we try right. to have them in bed at seven, um, oh, and wow. then and then there's always the please read some more, please read some more. So I kind of factor that in as if I'm giving mm-hmm. them something that they shouldn't have, but I know I, I, I you know it's a good negotiation <laughs> thing. Yeah. So we read and read and read, and then it's and then it's like like lights out. Y'all stop talking by seven twenty-five, and I would rather frankly spend more time with them and have everybody sleep later in the morning. But every you can't change your children. You can It really is one of those sort of mysterious parenting things. Like I feel like I've tried all the different angles of like, oh, let's put it in bed a little bit later, earlier. Like have the right noise in the room, or like a humidifier, a louder humidifier, or whatever. Like, and there's just there's something mystical about children's sleeping patterns. There me. is, and I feel, and I cannot get enough of asking families about yeah. what, what time do your kids go to bed? What time you know? And do you use white noise machine and? Um, and do your kids go to bed at the same time? Yeah. And do they it, do they come in your bed at some point in the night? Right. Uh, and oh, and P.S. What time do you go to bed? Right, parent. What, uh, and and yeah. I, and don't you feel like there's endless questions? And and maybe are there any answers that we can all take something away from? Because it seems so individual. I, I and I think there's there's not a better question to ask that speaks more to the lifestyle of a particular family or parent like than sleep patterns. It just gives you so much of a picture of what their family life is like, um, knowing what That's time right. they go to bed and wake up. Right. And is your family watching a movie before bed? Are you all reading Harry Potter? Is like, Do you just tell your kids, go to bed, see you, and they shut their door? I feel like all parents have endless questions about how much the kids are supposed to be sleeping, where, when, 
how well, and then about their teenagers, and then about our own questions. And um, we're going to try to answer as many yes. of them as we can today. And the good news is we have the perfect perfect person for this. We are going to be talking with sleep specialist and director of Yale Pediatric Sleep Center, Dr. Craig Canaperi. Our conversation with him is so enlightening and helpful and um, and also a little comforting. Um, and we're going to hear from sleep guide Tanja B and wrap it all up with a moment of calm. And maybe we'll even snooze during that too. So stay right here. This episode is worth staying up for. Let me be honest. <laughs> Dr. Craig Canaperi is a pediatric sleep specialist and director of the Yale Pediatric Sleep Center. He's been featured in numerous papers and journals and is the author of the book, It's Never Too Late to Sleep Train, The Low-Stress Way to High-Quality Sleep for Babies, Kids, and Parents. Welcome, Dr. Canaperi. E even though you are at the pediatric sleep center, you look at sleep for the whole family, right? You know, I, so much of the work that I and my colleagues do in, in pediatric sleep medicine is actually to benefit the parents as well as the children, especially young children. We find that they, they can make up sleep if they miss it. They can sleep in the stroller, they can sleep in the playpen or, or what have you, but parents don't really have that luxury. And sometimes what we do are actually giving permission to parents to make changes in the routines of their household so that they can sleep better. Because the fact is, if you sleep better, you're a better parent and your child benefits. A hundred percent. There are times when I've actually said to my kids, I need to go now so that I can do what I need to do in order to go sleep, go to sleep so I can be a, a, a really good mom to you tomorrow. And that's real. And I, I can tell you, my older child is going to bed later and I'm going to bed earlier as we move through time. And right now we're kind of crossing over and it's, he's 13 and we've come to the point where I'm like, well, you need to go to bed just so I can be alone for like five minutes. Yes. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, because he still wants me to, you know, tuck him in at night. I mean, don't, I hope his friends don't listen to this. Um, but, it, but it is funny as moving throughout ch childhood and my, and my life cycle as a parent, that like the challenges change, right? Um, and it's, it's really been an adventure moving into adolescence. Um, well, first of all, I'm in the middle of my life, and I still wish my parents could tuck me in. And and second, um, it seems like that's a big lesson of your book is that we have to be nimble and kind of always assessing what everyone in our family needs in terms of in terms of sleep. Oh yeah, it, absolutely. It's it's a moving target, and we see you know in in the first uh, in the first year of life, some babies go from sleeping twenty hours a day to fourteen hours a day in 12 months. So right when you think you figured it out as a parent, like, oh, my kid takes X number of naps at this time, you get comfortable a month or two, it changes. And it still continues to change as children get older, just at a slower rate. So some of my parents, like, you know, they almost get PTSD. They finally get their kids' sleep issues ironed out. Things are great. They have one bad night of sleep and they are, they are almost imagining going back to a period where the child had not slept for three or four months, even though... To be frank, everybody's entitled to a bad night of sleep once or, uh, once in a while. 
let's talk more about babies. Let's let's start with that, and then we'll talk kids, and then we will round it out with sleep for us, the many of us exhausted parents. So when we when we talk about sleep training, what does that actually mean? I feel like there's some myths around that phrase. Oh yeah, sleep training just refers to any number of behavioral interventions you can do to help your child sleep better and to help you sleep better. The problem with the term is it's strongly associated with one sleep sleep training technique, which is called extinction or popularly cry it out. Yes, I've even seen that acronym CIO on like parenting chat, chat boards. Oh yeah, so extinction sleep training or cry it out simply means if you are trying to teach your child to sleep independently, you will place your child down where they sleep and and walk away and in the in the sort of classic form of what called unmodified extinction sleep training you just leave your child to fuss or cry until he or she falls asleep in modified extinction which is what dr ferber uh popularized which is you go in and check at set intervals to see how your child is doing and a check is a very finite interaction. You go into the room, say, I love you. It's time to go to sleep. Good night. You leave the room. You don't pick up your child. You preferably don't start crying yourself. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it, it should be a very short intervention. And th- those interventions are really for the parents. So this works very well, I think, in kids that are in the uh, six months to 12 months of age, maybe four months to 12 months of age. I don't really recommend it in older kids. And if it doesn't feel right to parents, I think there are alternative methods. And so, well, first of all, I think the language around it sounds really pain. Like just hearing the word extinction. No, I know it's terrible, <laughs> like, right? like attached to your child is <laughs> so, like, what am I doing? So how do you, in your position where you're actually doing science and research and guiding families, how do you figure out how to guide families? Because it sounds like Families with babies who need to learn how to sleep have really individual needs and levels of comfort in how they address those needs. Sure. Well, I mean, in the clinic context, I have the luxury of spending a lot of time with my patients and their families. So when I meet uh, a family, I, I have 40 minutes just to talk to them. And the conversation is, tell me about your child's bedtime. And I have them walk through with me in a very granular way. What do you do for the hour before bedtime? What does your child's bedtime routine look like? Where are you sitting if you stay in the room when your child falls asleep? How long does it take them to fall asleep? And then throughout the night, well, if they wake up during the night, what time do they wake up? How do you respond when they wake up? Where does the child, is the child in a bed and coming into your room? Do you go to their room, etc.? So that enables me to get a feel for what's going on and really come up with a personalized plan. So let's say someone's listening to us right now. They have a baby. They're going through that tough transition of maybe their first time parents or they have another toddler and they're just at the end of their rope. And and they're hearing you say that some lucky families get to talk to you for a long time and figure out a personalized family plan. Are there sort of tried and true general takeaways for parents of babies who need to get sleep sanity? Absolutely. And I think the first is, is just kind of understanding your baby's natural sleep cycle. The fact is- Because they're not all alike, right? No, no. There is a lot of of child-to-child variability. So one thing that we do know is relatively fixed 
in each child is where they fall in terms of how much sleep they need. And to explain this in a simple fashion, some kids need more sleep than others. So if your child needs more sleep in infancy, they're probably throughout childhood gonna need be a child that needs a little bit more sleep. And the fact is kids that need a lot of sleep, they're a dream for parents, right? If, if your child is sleeping 18 hours a day in infancy, guess what? They're probably sleeping through the night fairly quickly. Mm. Naps aren't a problem. But if your child is on the shorter end of the spectrum, it can be very challenging because it's not like you can, you know, you can say to your three month old, oh, go do some coloring or something, right? If you're a little bit tired, they're going to need attention from you. And when, you know, in adolescence, the short sleep kids have it great, right? They actually tolerate the extremely early times they have to get up for high school. And the long Ooh, sleep kids that's struggle. A, that's an interesting little nugget to dangle for parents of young kids who don't sleep a lot. That's like, there's a light at the end of your tunnel down the road. That's interesting. But, but I do think regardless of where, what your child's individual sleep needs are, understanding how their sleep's gonna evolve in infancy is super important. If you uh, expect your two-week-old to sleep through the night, you're probably going to be disappointed. It doesn't mean it's impossible, but it's probably not gonna happen. Usually in the first couple months, it just goes sleep, wake, cry, feed, sleep, right? A three-hour cycle, and it just sort of rolls on. And then two to three months of age, kids start to evolve a longer sleep period at night. And I will say before then six weeks, some kids invert their days and nights, which is very painful. What mm. parents should think about in, in, in that period is trying to get their child exposed to natural light. The most powerful um, cue we have for our days and nights is light exposure, like the expo light of the sun. The technical term is that this wonderful German word, it's as Zeitgeber, which is time giver, right? Like that natural light will help your baby as their body clock develops anchor their sleep to nighttime and their wakefulness to daytime. Can you give people suggestions about kind of an ideal bedtime habit and, and ritual for a family? Sure. There's a couple of dimensions to a great bedtime. The first is that it's consistent. It's consistent in time. It's consistent in place. Like it should happen. You shouldn't be uh, doing your bedtime routine in your bedroom, the kitchen, on the deck, and different nights. And the sort of sequence events should be very consistent. And it doesn't need to be elaborate, right? Like I think the template of, you know, bath, story, song, quick cuddle, that's all you gotta do. And I, I think another thing that's super important in infancy is that, and we broke this rule to our detriment with my first son and everybody does, having an incredibly elaborate bedtime routine required both grownups. Oh. So both of us would do the bath. Both of us would dry him off and get him ready for bed and all of this stuff. And, and then you'd sing in harmony. Oh my God. Yeah, I'd be like, <laughs> get out the pitch pipe and we're just like. Uh, you take the guitar, I'll take the harmonica. I know, no drums tonight. It was just too, too activating. And I think one important advice for parents and like parents of second kids and single parents know this. One person needs to be able to do this and ideally any adult in the house should be able to do the bedtime routine. Not to make this too gendered a conversation, but so often in my world, parents are like, and at the mo it's always the mom is like, I'm the only person that can put my child down. He or she won't go down for dad. And that's because dad is like, and it's always, it's always heterosexual couples. Dad's always throwing <laughs> up his hands and be like, well, he doesn't want me, you know? And I'm like, before COVID, I'd say to moms, I'm like, you know what? Why don't you take a trip for a weekend? I guarantee your husband is probably going to figure this out. <laughs> um... It's, I think when people fall in these like sort of gender norm roles, it's much better that everybody should be able to do it. And I, 
am thrilled when I see a dad in clinic and I'm like, you know what, dads, you take bedtime, own this, like, you know, do your part. You know, with, with older kids, toddlers, preschool, even young elementary school, um, here's something I find with my kids who, who do go to bed at the same time and share a room. They're tired, they're ready for bed, and then they start giggling uncontrollably and throwing stuffed animals at each other. And all of a sudden, it's like they could stay up till 11 o'clock, and I know they shouldn't. What's, what's up with that? There's this interesting phenomenon that uh, a sleep physiologist calls the forbidden zone. And it's the idea that there are certain, certain times where you're just actually not going to fall asleep. And um, that's because your circadian system, which really you, is best understood as a wakefulness system, as you move through the day, you're accumulating more and more sleep drive. You're getting more and more sleep need. So your circadian system counterbalances this by pushing out this wakefulness signal. And we all get what people call a second wind at the end of the day. If you've ever put your kids to bed and be like, oh my God, I'm so tired, I'm gonna go to bed now. And then you start, you turn on Netflix and it's 1130 and you're like, what has happened? I am wide yes, awake. Yes, this um, is my life. This is, you are heading into that sort of forbidden zone. And the way this manifests in kids is, it's what parents call their kids being overtired. And I don't think that's an accurate term. It's just they're in this forbidden zone where the bedtime is likely a little bit later than they biologically need. And they're getting that wakefulness burst. And uh, one mom said this to me perfectly. She's like, my kid needs to be in bed at 7.30 or he's up till nine. There's nothing in between. Yeah. And I think of this as, you know, a little bit of giggling and throwing stuffed animals totally cool, right? Like if it was, you know, it may be a little bit annoying, but it's also kind of cute. And as long as they settle and importantly, you don't need to intervene. I think that it's fine. But for parents who are every night having these knockdown drag out fights about bedtime, looking at the timing of it is a really good idea. And you could likely go earlier or later, uh, depending on your child's sleep needs. So if you find you have a, a toddler or an elementary schooler that you're actually needing to wake up in the morning, that would imply their bedtime's a little bit too late. Moving your bedtime 30 or 45 minutes later might just do the trick for you and reduce the fighting. What's very clear from this entire conversation is that sleep is as fundamental to us at at any age, right? Like as parents, we seem to be focused on on babies and then maybe toddlers. But if we don't focus on high quality sleep for everyone in our family, um, we, we can get into relationship problems. We can not show up for work in the best way. And we certainly can't be the best parents we can be. Absolutely. And I, I think that everybody owes it to themselves to try to get a good night of sleep, right? Like not every night is going to be perfect, but ensuring that you have actually a you know, the technical terms of sleep opportunity, that you actually have enough hours blocked for you to get enough sleep time. For, for grown-ups like you or me, that's seven to nine, to nine hours of sleep. And that you make it a priority. You know, I've, having worked with like a, a fitness trainer, right? Like these guys will tell you, if you're not getting the results that you want, you need to get more sleep. Huh. Um, if you want to work on body composition, if you want to get stronger, um, but also mood, uh, behavior, the way that you treat the people around you. It's just critically important. I mean, like, and this is, this is conserved through evolution, like fruit flies sleep, right? Like a fruit, fruit fly does it and we do it. We know it's important, right? Like, <laughs> I never thought about that. So it's, it, it is like a critical biologic function. And yet 
a lot of modern society has been built around the idea of like, it's like, well, if you need extra time, you can take it out of your sleep time, right? We steal sleep time from teenagers to allow the buses to run a certain way in our time. We may get up early to go to the gym or stay up late to finish a work project. Once in a while, you can do those things. You really have to design your life around getting enough sleep, just like you might be want to be thoughtful about what you eat or drink. Mm-hmm. Um, every child, I mean, every human really deserves good sleep. And if we can do that, it really, it's a cornerstone of health and well-being. And it's often something that gets forgotten. But... The upside is simple interventions can often really make a huge difference for families. Thank you for what you do. I'm fascinated by it. I think we can all learn from the science behind it. Look, when you improve a child's sleep, you're really improving the life of everyone in the family. And uh, that's a great feeling. When families come in, the children are, the children are doing better and the parents are doing better too. It's, it's, it's very rewarding. Justin, I uh, I love everything that we just heard the good sleep doctor say. Something that really sticks out for me is not only is it never too late to correct mistakes we think we've made, but he's also given us the heads up that we're going to have to always adjust as your kids grow. Yeah, and it's never too late for the kids, never too late for you. Like, there's just, it's like, try it. If you will feel the difference, it's... And that level of sort of access to a, a better night's sleep or wanting a better night's sleep, I feel like is so comforting and will put you to sleep in the best way possible. I feel like now's the time I need to tell you what I look like when I go to sleep. Oh. Okay. I, I, don't, I don't get enough sleep most nights. Uh, however, I suit up like a gladiator. <laughs> so, we, so I do earplugs and a mouth guard so that I don't snore. Ah. That makes me look like a football yeah. player, right? Like it puffs out my cheeks and an eye mask. Wow. Um, and all of this is probably why we don't have many, many children. It is, right. it, it is a birth it, control <laughs> device. <laughs> True. And there's no question whether or not you're going to sleep. Yep, she's, she's ready for bed. See, I'm the opposite. I'm like, uh, I just close my eyes and then it happens. Whether I'm uh, sitting on an airplane, I will, I'm the kind of person on an airplane, I'll just cross my arms and lean back later see you at see you when we land um you know that means you're not getting a hundred percent and that's like okay okay again it's a bad uh it's a bad idea to to be that way but um the one good thing is i can always sleep i'm like the incredible hulk i'm always a little ready for sleep Tanja B. is a mother and a successful sleep consultant whose life turned around when she and her child learned how to sleep. Our correspondent, Fleece, has the parenting story of the day. Tanja B. is a mother of four and a certified sleep sense consultant with a master's degree in psychology. She's been written about in numerous online magazines like Baby Quip, Forbes, and Romper. But her journey didn't start there. When Tanja had her first child, he picked up on sleeping through the night on his own. It was her second child that had sleep issues. My second child. Now, he was definitely a challenge. Um, We had lots of challenges uh, with him as far as in all aspects. He was a colicky baby, so he had that cry, cry, cry that there wasn't really a way to ease his cry. You know, whether you fed him or held him, none of those things worked. And so you kind of just let them, you know, have their their crying bouts. And so 
we also had challenges with breastfeeding uh, in the beginning. And, you know, it just was a very stressful time for me, I remember. Her son's colic symptoms faded in three months as his digestive system matured and she worked successfully with a lactation consultant. But her son still wasn't sleeping well, which meant she wasn't sleeping well. His sleep was still, he was kind of sporadic. I mean, he didn't really nap well either. Uh, he didn't sleep at night well. He was very sleep deprived. And when he did sleep, you know, it was in my arms or, you know, on my chest. I'm uh, laying down or um, rocking or something. And so I figured that he's, you know, I figured out he would sleep that way. But I still wasn't getting any sleep and I wasn't enjoying, you know, like the motherhood that I thought I'd have. I can't really do anything because the baby needed me, you know, to hold him every single moment, it seemed like. And, you know, at first I thought that was normal because, you know, a lot of moms go through that and they tell you, yeah, you know, some of their kids, you know, did that and some kids don't. So, you know, you just kind of think about how you're doing as a mom, and it kind of affects you in all kinds of ways. Even though her son was getting sleep in her arms, for Tanja, it became long-term sleep deprivation. Speaking from personal experience, if you look back in your life, there's really not a time where you have suffered like a long-term sleep deprivation. Even in college, you might have times where you stay up late and then you have to get up for like an eight o'clock class in the morning you still have that option to go to sleep and take a nap in the day. But when you have a child that's like depending on you 24 seven, seven, you know, all day, all week, I don't think I've experienced anything like it. I didn't know anything about this type of sleep deprivation. And I imagine a lot of parents do not experience this until they have a, ch a child, you know, a brand new baby. Her son woke up every hour or every two hours throughout the night. And this severe lack of sleep affected Tanja's health. The way that sleep deprivation affects me, I know it affects everyone differently, but for me, it was the long term of it, you know, going months after month after month without sleeping well and having to wake up so much. Uh, it just created a change in my mood. So I was very moody. You know, I was kind of having uh, sadness and crying a lot, crying bouts um, instead of, you know, this is supposed to be a happy time in your life, you know, having a little baby. And so I had a lot of depression type of symptoms and anxiety type of symptoms well on past the uh, initial first three to four months. Uh, postpartum. So, you know, it kind of sat with me for a while. The way that sleep deprivation affects your cognitive functioning in, in regards to um, memory, just not being able to remember. Trying to read a book, I couldn't remember like the first couple of pages and it's like, oh, I gotta start over. I just kind of, the cloudy thinking, my thoughts were, you know, not uh, connecting and it's like, you know, what's going on? I did work a little bit before I became a stay-at-home mom uh, after the baby was born <laughs> in my office and just falling asleep. And it's like, you wake up and you're like, oh my gosh, what time is it? <laughs> and so I, I was afraid of doing anything because I just didn't know if I would fall asleep. And having the baby all day, uh, you just get scared about things like that. I know that there were times where I didn't even go out of the house because I was just afraid to go drive because I don't know if I would fall asleep behind the wheel. It was when others noticed that something was wrong that she considered getting help. My husband is like, are you okay? You know, you kind of seem to change a little bit. I wasn't my perky self. 
And then the fact that I had hired a babysitter to come watch the baby during the day so that I could take a nap <laughs> and have time and just, you know, go to sleep, wash clothes, do whatever. Uh, I realized that, okay, um, I don't think that's normal to have to hire somebody to watch your baby so you can go to sleep. <laughs> uh, so I began to look into the sleeping program. I heard about, you know, a sleep program through a friend and I didn't act on it right away only because I, one, I didn't believe it. <laughs> I was like, there's no way this, there's no way to help him sleep. He's got to figure it out. And then, you know, about six months later, that's when I actually did it. And I was just, at that time, I was just fed up because I was just exhausted. He was one week shy of his one-year-old birthday. And I said, we are doing this. This is your birthday gift for you and for me. She jumped into the program and implemented the steps. It was a two-week program, and literally he followed each of the steps, you know, the way he... I did not believe it would happen because I just didn't see it happening. I mean, this guy was waking up so many times. He only slept on in my arms, only slept on my chest. And so I just didn't believe it. And so when I actually implemented the program, oh my gosh, he went to sleep like the first four on the fourth night. He did a 12 hour sleep night, which is like so rare to this day. He's six years old now. And he's the, still the best sleeper in the family. <laughs> so what was the training like? Sleep training is, it can be emotional. Um, but even though it was tough, um, that first night, you know, he was crying and he was standing up looking at me. And he was like, pick me up, you know, probably saying in his mind, pick me up, pick me up. I, you know, I want you, mommy. I want you. It still wasn't as bad as when I would have my crying bouts in the day. Um, when I was by myself and I was with him and it still wasn't that bad. So I was more on the motivated side. I was like, this has to work. You're okay. You're going to be okay. I'm right here. When he was crying and I would go close to the crib and I would put my head on the crib and he would kind of grab my hair, grab my head, touch my head. Once the baby knows it's okay, they settle down and just know it's like, it's like a seasonal thing. You know, it's only for a short season is this happening, like the crying piece. And then, you know, after everything gets better, they, they learn, they get that independent skill. And then everybody is elated and excited. And the baby looks forward to going to sleep. Tanja started to notice some big differences in her life. It takes about two weeks to get your body back on a good sleep rhythm when it's been shattered or kind of disrupted for a long period of time. So... Uh, the first two weeks, I was kind of like really like just drowsy, sleepy, hard to go to sleep because, you know, I was always waking up. And then once that two weeks hit and I got myself back into a good routine for myself at night, oh my gosh, I just can't, I can't explain how many books I read. I started feeling better about my, my self-esteem kind of grew a little more as a mother. You know, the, the crying bouts, they went away and uh, the like the high level anxiety went away as far as, you know, kind of me just being all over the place, the cloudy thinking, the, the moodiness definitely went away, the irritability, all that went away. And my mental health just felt, I just felt more clarity in the day and at night and just a happier mood instead of being in like feeling like being in a dark place in a prison, you know, I was able to retain a lot of things. And I thought, oh, it's, you know, my life is just beginning. <laughs> I just, I don't know, I, I can't explain how sleep 
training has saved my mentality. The results were so significant that she became a sleep trainer herself. After I did the program with my second child and it worked wonders, it was like a miracle, <laughs> miracle to me. I thought that this is something that the world needs to hear. <laughs> Tanja trained with Dana Oberman and the Sleep Science Institute. And since she also has a master's degree in psychology with a focus on research, her approach involves a thorough understanding of pediatric and professional studies found in peer-reviewed journals. Sleep helps to produce those growth hormones that the child needs to grow, right? So um, that's one of the reasons why sleep is really, really important. Sleep also helps to build the child's immune system. Um, it works on the storage organization and retention of memory. It increases the blood supply to their muscles, restores energy, builds and repairs tissues, reduces the crying spells in the day. So the tantrums are reduced. Now it doesn't eliminate them, but it re definitely reduces them um, a lot throughout, throughout the day. And you know, just the sleep is just overall good for their growth and mental, mental and physical growth. Sleep training is somewhat misunderstood. It doesn't mean just letting the baby cry endlessly. The goal, for the child to be able to discover ways to sleep independently. It is like a weaning process, the sleep training. You're offering your comfort ahead. You're offering a lot of comfort. And then you kind of lean out, wait, make your way out of the room. So it is um, a process of lots of comfort. And then eventually they don't need your comfort. They don't need it as much. And so you remove yourself out of the equation. And, you know, that's the ultimate goal, you know, getting them to sleep on their own independently without needing your help. And so that's that's pretty good. She explained that night feedings are, of course, considered in the process. I look at uh, research based on the child's age, how many ounces per day they need or how many breastfeeds per day they need. So I do have uh, consults with pediatric nutritionists and pediatricians uh, who, you know, tell their clients, hey, this is how much, you know, your child should be eating a day. So we kind of we get the gist of how much they need to eat. How sleep training is handled is individual to each family, and there are different creative modifications to support that. Voice, comfort, talking to them, you know, shushing, like that shushing really, like shh, 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 that really works well. <laughs> um, they like that noise. It kind of sounds like the, the white noise machine that some parents have for the baby. It reminds them of the mother's heartbeat inside the womb. So they really uh, do settle down uh, with those kind of things. And, um, and being in the room with them, you know, I, I do have my parents offer that comfort and sit in the room with their child so the child can see them. Tanja's clients say that her help with sleep training saved their marriage. And now they call her in early for their second child. When you're a mom, you're a new mom, you're like, no, I can do it. You know, you want to do it all. You know, you want to say that you're self-sufficient and you can, you don't need anybody's help. And really, you know, the most important thing you need when you have a baby is a support network, support system, you know, family members or close friends that can help you watch the baby while you get some rest. You do need a village. You need that support network when you're a new mom and you don't need to go it alone because that's not what it was designed for. You know, babies bring families together. Justin, don't you feel like if Tanja stood by you and gently said, you can do this, that not only could you sleep, but you could kind of do anything. Yeah, I need a, a light handhold um, <laughs> to go down. And I'll tell you, my wife is sick of doing it. 
she doesn't want to be standing there holding my hand while I uh, gently fall asleep anymore. <laughs> you can do yeah. this, honey. Um, Tanja is amazing in lots of ways, not least that, and I think we find this with a lot of experts we have on our show, they accepted help when they needed it. Like they recognized they were having a hard time, learned, and then want to go out and share. Yeah, that's what I love about Tanja and a ton of people we talk to. It is that sort of learned, like, I had a problem and I solved it. And those details that you get from people that have truly been through it and figured out their path are just so invaluable. I feel like those are the pieces that I I take from these, these interviews and these stories that really I'm like, I can apply that to my life immediately. Yeah. This week, we're giving away 10 Munchkin Bath Beats musical bath toy gift sets so your little music maker can rock out in the tub. To win, be one of the first 10 people to email the words Bath Beats to podcast at munchkin.com. That's the show. Thanks for staying awake and taking the ride with us. And thanks to our guests, Dr. Craig Canaperi and Tanja B. We also want to thank you for listening. If you know someone who needs some support, community, or laughs, let them know about our show. If you'd like more information about any of our guests, check out our episode guide at strollercoaster.com. Thank you to Munchkin for helping us put this together. No wonder they're the most loved baby brand in the world. You can buy all your Munchkin products at Target. At Stroller Coaster, we're all about community. So if you have a question or a topic you want to hear more about, don't hesitate to reach out to us at podcast at munchkin.com. Just a reminder to check out Stroller Coaster Storytime. It's our storytelling podcast for parents and children to enjoy together. It's a short, fun, and creative take on children's stories performed by improv actors and directed by a kid. Justin, have I ever heard your voice in that, maybe? I feel like... Uh, I sneak in. I have some small roles. I'm a classically trained actor, of course. You, you could do a lot of voices. Do you do those for your own kids at bedtime? We do. Uh, I we, be, we read books and alternate with just making up stories uh, for bedtime. Oh. Uh, which is Are fun. you for hire? <laughs> yeah. I'll zoom in. I'll zoom in anywhere. We wish you great sleep tonight with something every parent can use, your very own timeout. Munchkin cares for animals, working with the International Fund for Animal Welfare that ensures animals and their habitats get the love they deserve. So today, we'll share some calm with the sounds of a bird sanctuary. See you next week on Stroller Coaster.